Game seven, eight seconds left, home team down by one. Oh, the home team strips the ball and the point guard is all alone. But it appears that there's a wet spot on the free throw line. The fans go silent. Their championship aspirations flash before their eyes. Wait, someone's running out on the court. Oh my, it's the towel boy. How did he clean it so fast? The point guard takes off and dunks the ball. Game over, the crowd erupts. Towel boy, towel boy. Thank you, everybody, for another stupendous standing ovation. My name's Andy. And I'm Landon. And we are the Towel Boys. So I'd like to welcome a very special guest to the Towel Boys podcast today. He is a Miami Heat analyst, a major contributor to the Five on the Floor podcast, and is a man who always has the guts. Welcome, Greg Sylvander. Thanks for having me, guys. This is uh, this is good stuff. I've listened to a couple of your a couple of your episodes, and um, you're you know building something good here. So I'm glad to be a part of it. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And uh, I've been listening to Five on the Floor and Miami Heat Beat for a very long time now, and that was a major inspiration for why we started this podcast. So always going to appreciate the the model you guys laid down for us. It's really cool to hear that, actually, because, you know, we started and um, it was it was a slow go. And, and it's like one of those things where you got to you got to stick with it. And the longer you stick with it, that consistency pays off. And um, so it's cool to hear that now there's like another uh, wave of, of heads just like y'all that can, um, you know, pick up the baton and run with it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty big Heat fans. We're trying to do this as impartial as possible. but It's uh, tough. It's tough. Yeah. I, I don't make any bones about it. I am a Miami Heat fan. That's where I started in 1990 of all places. So, oh, man. Um, so that's that's my squad, and I'm sticking with them. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it's hard to, uh, to separate it sometimes. For instance, I picked the Heat to go to the finals when we first started this pod and uh, I got a lot of hate for it from our friends, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's paying off though. now. So right? now we'll you see. look smart at least so far, right? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, let's get into this heat stuff. Uh, Andy, you want to start us off? Yeah. So let's, let's start in this last series heat bucks. Um, obviously going in the bucks are the number one overall team. They look great. They looked great in the regular season and they started to worry some people in their, their regular season bubble games. And then they they lost game one to the Magic, and people weren't really scared because it was the Magic, but it was a telling sign that they weren't playing that well, and then they ran into the Miami Heat. Yeah. Um, it's funny with, with Milwaukee particularly, if any team didn't want the season to be suspended and wanted to continue playing back in February or early March, when it, whenever it was, it felt like it was 10 years ago, but... Uh, it was Milwaukee. They were on such a roll, and it it essentially kind of was a buzzsaw for everything they had going. So um, that was something that that we talked about on five on the floor. Actually, Ethan Skolnick brought up quite a bit that that he thought that that was going to hurt them, and we just didn't know how much it would hurt them. And, and that first game against Orlando kind of provided the blueprint of some of the things you could do to to frustrate Milwaukee and get in the way of them uh, getting to the stuff that that contributed to so much of their success. But with the Miami Heat matchup specifically, this is a really weird situation because the Heat, anyone I talked to in the organization um, all the way down the line since since back in December, 
they wanted the Milwaukee matchup. That was something that they did, were not <laughs> hiding from. Um, if you ask the, the people around the org, who would you want to face? They were picking Milwaukee in, in, in front of teams like Boston and Toronto. They liked that matchup. So um, I think that that was just, it all played into what we saw happen with the Heat and five. I think that's pretty funny because it's pretty, uh, it's pretty obvious that Iguodala and Crowder were pretty key in that matchup. And the fact that the Heat were saying they wanted that matchup way back when Myers Leonard was running the drop scheme in like, you know, October. It's interesting that that carried through and we ended up getting better players to play against Milwaukee and make that matchup even more in our favor. It is. It is interesting to think about it in that way, because when you think back to that team in retrospect, they, they feel like they were two or three wings short, one or two wings at least short. And, you know, Iguodala and Crowder filled those holes. But there was always something about having Bam on Giannis that they felt good about and then having Jimmy against Middleton like the even if you go back and and if we were using the rosters as constructed in December they felt like that two on two was um that there were some favorable elements of that so they it just further uh kind of exemplified what they were trying to get to when they had Crowder and Iguodala to to throw (laughs) into the mix as well. And hopefully there's never going to be a series where they're going to be needed more than this next one against Boston. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think another interesting caveat to that whole deal is that Crowder probably spent the most time guarding Giannis out of anybody. Bam, you know, would come on to him on switches and, at the end of the game, but Crowder was taking the full brunt of the Giannis force. You're and right. then you look at Middleton, and I mean, he was just getting switches all over the place. Like there was never just one guy guarding him. So even though we had the personnel to match up two on two, it was very it was very much a team effort. You're right. No, and, and that's it's kind of the luxury of having all the wings that they did is that they never had to get down to the brass tacks of literally having Bam go hunt out Giannis and make that be a one-on-one, not one-on-one from an offense-defense perspective, but having Bam have to really focus in on that matchup. They never had to go there. It never got right. to, uh, like, the feet were never held to the fire to the point where they had to go there. And that's just, it shows that the trade that they pulled off, although they did have to sacrifice the young talent in Winslow that they kind of didn't get to unlock fully, uh, having these wings has been a luxury that's allowed them to advance, I think, uh, you know, way further than any but us Heat fans thought that they could. <laughs> yeah, and I think that the biggest thing about not having to stick Bam on Giannis all the time is really the foul trouble aspect. Yeah, Bam Bam is great about not getting in foul trouble, but when you get in the playoffs and you have a superstar like Giannis, the refs are going to give him some calls. And if Bam was in more foul trouble that series, that would have been a big problem. So, yeah, having the luxury of having Jay Crowder on him for really the first half and even – third quarter at times I mean even down the stretch Jay Crowder was on him so that's just a luxury that that trade did a lot for the heat halfway through the season yeah because like you said also Jimmy didn't have to spend a lot of time on Chris Middleton I mean obviously there were moments here and there but for the most part they were able to kind of just uh match up and and if there were switches they weren't necessarily worried about um moving a guy back on to, to Middleton because he was a bad matchup or something like that. So you're right. It really unlocked a lot of the things Spolster wanted to get to and just didn't have the personnel in the last few years. And they finally, this is a Spolster roster if we've ever seen one. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, the switchability, versatility of all of these guys. I mean, Spolstra always wanted positionless basketball going back to the Big Three era. And now he has like one of the most positionless teams in the league. I know it's, uh, you know, that they thought Winslow would actually provide a lot of that. And unfortunately just never got to really see it. James Johnson was another guy that in spots could do this kind of stuff and defensively had moments where he was a lockdown defender, honestly, before uh, he cashed in on his contract, but ultimately (laughs) availability is a, is a skill at this point. And Winslow not, not being able to stay on the court uh, as well as just some of the fit things with, with the shooting and stuff like that, the way Crowder has shot the ball, it, it was absolutely an upgrade in retrospect. Absolutely. And then, I mean, when you look back to those rosters, the past few years, when you add Bam in the mix and subtract Hassan Whiteside, not <laughs> oh having to God. play the drop coverage and being able to switch everything like they're doing now, I mean, that just unlocks so much in terms of positionless aspect. There, I don't know that there was ever a move in Miami Heat history since I've been following the team that was more of addition by subtraction than <laughs> yep. Myers Leonard and Mo Harkless for Hassan Whiteside. And I know that the trade expanded and it ended up being a bigger deal that included the you know Jimmy Butler acquisition. But that deal of just Harkless and Leonard for Whiteside, that deal was agreed upon whether the Jimmy stuff was going to happen or not. So that was one, and it was all in an effort to maximize Bam, get him more minutes, put him in a starting role. Uh, and you're right. That's essentially what they got. You know, they, they had been doing this for, for decades where they were funneling everyone to the big men, whether it was Alonzo Mourning or Shaquille O'Neal. Hassan Whiteside was another one that was cut from that cloth from a shot blocking perspective, but all the other stuff just didn't add up. And uh, Bam Adebayo has been, has, you know, enabled Spo to really get to the defensive things that, that, uh, that are kind of hallmarks in the league at this point. It's really crazy that, two trades and of course the jimmy butler like swap of course as well but the the bam or trading Whiteside, and then at the deadline getting crowder and iggy put us from a 500 team to a championship contender and you really don't see that very much so it's pretty wild what pat riley andy ellisberg what they're able to do yeah i this of all of the builds that and when I say builds whether it's Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway or then kind of revamping the team with Brian Grant and Eddie Jones then you go to the Lamar Odom, Karan Butler, Dwayne Wade group and then Shaquille O'Neal and then the big three of all of those like and that's a lot of builds I'm going kind of far back in the history um, but this one is as much of a mix of like homegrown guys that you've developed from the ground up um, players that maybe you didn't necessarily initially think could get to this level uh, kind of being maximized. You're not, you don't have three superstars that you signed in one off season or a Shaquille O'Neal like trade where it's like, Oh gosh, you know, a hall of fame, big man just got sent to Miami or even the Alonzo morning stuff. Like back then that was a really big move all of a sudden to have a frontline player like that instead of a, a wing like Glenn Rice. And um, this build has been as much of an example of what the organization talks about when they talk heat culture and people are getting sick of hearing that term, but this really <laughs> is a roster that is built from the ground up in the way that they kind of have fashioned the organization. And there's no shortcutting the shortcut here. This is all guys that have put in the work that were doubted and maybe drafted lower than they could have been. And now they are here to prove something. 
Definitely. I, I like that uh, direct shot at Frank Isola. <laughs> yeah, we had him on the podcast recently, and he's not as salty about Riley as maybe he came across in, in recent tweets. But okay. ultimately, u- ultimately, I think that there's some of that that any prior team that has had um, – you know, Pat Riley in the organization or has maybe has gone rounds against the heat, whether it's the Celtics or the bulls or the Knicks, they get sick of hearing about heat culture. So you know what that means? We're just going to scream it louder from the Raptors. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah proud absolutely. So just one more thing on the Iguodala uh, Crowder trade. So is Jay Crowder ever going to regress on his three point shot? Because I know you guys have been, uh, I mean, somebody has been saying the whole time that he has to regress at some point because he was shooting 29% from three with the Grizzlies. Is this just a product of Jimmy Butler and Bam creating open looks for him or having Duncan Robinson, you know, being the ultimate decoy? What's going on there? That is a really great question. I don't know that anyone has the the direct answer there because for a guy to go from a you know sub-20 shooter to a 40% three-point shooter on the kind of volume. I think he averaged 11 attempts a game in the last series (laughs) to put up that kind of volume and still get to the percentage points that he's getting to from a shooting perspective. It's kind of uncharted territory for a guy to have that kind of ascension in the middle of a season. Um, Sometimes in an off season, if the, if the heat get a guy in their strength and conditioning program, they can get him in the kind of shape and get him the kind of reps that will, you'll see that from one season over the other. This is a whole different situation where you've got a guy who, yeah, we had some months off, but not, not a real traditional off season. And even before the offseason, uh, you know, the, the the stoppage happened. He was shooting at a much improved clip. So I, I don't know that I would necessarily attribute it to just Jimmy and the attention that is drawn through the other guys. It, it's just kind of lightning in a bottle, and we're all kind of waiting for the, <laughs> the old Jay Crowder to show himself. Um, I don't know that we'll see it this year. I hope not, particularly against his old team, the Celtics. I would think he would come out uh, with a particular level of intensity and try to, um, you know, shoot his way through this series. But um, where where I would caution is if the Heat were to start doling out uh, three or four year contracts to a guy like that oh, who's having no. a who's having yep. a season that um, is kind of an outlier from a percentage perspective. Uh, so let's just hope he can get locked up for one year and we'll we'll roll over <laughs> to twenty twenty one. Hey, we've never seen those contracts dealt out before, right? Exactly. You know where I'm going there with JJ and Dion. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so I guess moving on, I just want to get to some other players in this series. So Drogic has been at another level in these playoffs and that the stoppage obviously helped his, either his mind or his physical, you know, (laughs) attributes, but whatever it is, he's just got magic going on. And the Celtics have a lot of elite wings. Is his play sustainable against that kind of length? It's a, it's a good, that's a good question because we don't know what the cross matches are going to look like yet. I mean, if they go stick Marcus Smart on Goran Dragic, that's going to be a challenge, obviously, because Smart has the defensive chops to to frustrate Goran and stay in front of him. But ultimately, I don't think that that's the direction that they're going to go. So I think it is sustainable. This is the situation where I think Dragic sees that this shortened window of going into the bubble and trying to plug through a three-month stretch and make a run, he's kind of, for me, this feels like 
he's putting everything into this that he has left. And it's not that he's going to fall off a cliff after this season, but I don't think you're going to see him averaging 20 points a game as we Mm -hmm. get into next season. So ultimately, if you have Kemba Walker on him throughout the the series, I think that he can, if, if he can at least score at the clip that Kemba's scoring at, that's a huge advantage for the Heat. I mean, they, they weren't necessarily, I think, in this matchup, if you talked about it four months ago, thinking that Dragic could um, score with Kemba to a standstill. So, <laughs> so that'll be a huge part of this that we'll have to watch, and then we'll see if they make adjustments on who will defend him. But going into this, I think it is sustainable, but it is one of the biggest keys to this series. They're going to need, because the other part of it is uh, on the other side, point of attack defense and the, the things that small, quick guards can get to against Miami has been a challenge all year. Bledsoe didn't see the success. Maybe we could have expected when you looked at historically what these small guards have done to Miami, but Kemba's a different beast. And uh, I think that 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 matchup for Gorn defensively is probably where he's going to have more of the challenge than who's guarding him. It's it's really funny that you brought up Drogic and Kemba scoring wise, because I think I I think literally two hours ago, I told Landon that if Drogic can outscore Kemba, I think the Heat take this series in, in five or six because if if we can score at the at the clip we can normally score at, like I don't know if the Celtics, given our switchability, can sustain that. And Kemba, who's an elite scorer, if if Drogic is matching that, we have so many other guys around that can also score. So I definitely agree. That's a huge matchup. And if he does get Kemba on him, it's it's going to be advantage heat because Drogic, of course, has been playing tremendous basketball. And I don't think that's just going to stop unless a guy like Marcus Smart does guard him. That's that's one of those interesting cross matchups where it's like Kemba has the offensive advantage on Dragic and Dragic has the offensive advantage on Kemba. It's definitely, you know, found in different ways. Kemba's going to use his quickness to get by Dragic and Dragic, I mean, I would he's very strong for his size. He he definitely has the iron shoulder where on those fast breaks he just drives right into the guy's chest and puts it up. I mean, he also has some pretty nice post moves, surprisingly. Like, once he gets onto a small guard, he can kind of do, like, little hook shots and stuff. I think you'll see him maybe not isolate because the Heat don't really run it that way. But if he gets Kemba, you know, in the low post, I could see him really going up strong. Yeah, and a lot of that's dependent on him continuing to shoot as well as he has because as as long as they have to respect him from the edges he's going to be able to get downhill get to the basket and he he's crafty around the rim you're right about that he's always had that like i remember back when he was with the phoenix suns he would like dribble in three circles around the like kind of Mm -hmm. around the top of the key and the teams would get like completely frustrated by following him around in circles and then he would get an easy layup he still has some of that left in the tank so um I think that it's definitely something that they they're going to need from him, but not only him. I think that Tyler hero is another guy that you don't think of him as a downhill guy, get to the rim type of player. But I think there's going to be some moments in this series when you've got bench against bench where hero is going to have significant advantages and he's going to be able to unlock some of that stuff that maybe you don't attribute with heroes game normally, but he'll have opportunities in this series provided that it's not, you know, Marcus smart, or uh, Jason Tatum or someone like that on him, which we don't necessarily expect initially. Right. And one thing, like you said, in Hero's game, I've noticed that when he drives, a lot of the time, 
he won't actually try to finish immediately over a big guy. He'll actually go baseline, pull it out, and then kind of read the defense from there. I don't know if he got that from Dragic or, it, I mean, if the Miami Heat got that in his head to kind of like just test the defense a little bit before before attacking. But sure. that, that definitely is a smart a smart play by him. Yeah, you know, you, you've made a really smart observation there because that's not something he was doing at the beginning of the season. It just, just wasn't. He he is That is something that has developed throughout the year, and I think it is a sign that you're seeing, and this happens with a lot of young players, but not as soon as not as soon as soon it's happened for Hero and not at 20 years old usually. The, <laughs> game, the game has slowed down for him, and that's what you're seeing when he's not just barreling towards the rim trying to finish whatever he can. Um, there were even some finishing issues early this season all that stuff's cleaned up. And it's because, in my opinion, the game has slowed down to the point where he can pick and choose the spots and the the footwork that he has uh, off the dribble, kind of getting to his sweet spot to, to get shots off. That kind of stuff, it's just... Um, you can see the seasoning happening right before our eyes. And to watch a 20-year-old get to that kind of stuff, it's been remarkable. It's It's crazy what he does down the stretch, hitting clutch shots. He's so confident, and having a guy like that, it's, he's going to develop so well over the next few years with that confidence and that experience, and this playoff run is really going to help them going um, forward. I, Tyler Hero's ceiling, there is no ceiling right now. I know. I always say that about Bam, but it's probably true about Hero as well. I, I went to um, a preseason game in Charlotte uh, with the Hornets and Heat early this year, and Jimmy didn't play. They essentially sat all the veterans, so Hero got a lot of run. And I, I walked into the locker room before the game, and I said, "I walked up and I just said, how the hell are you so confident?'" And he he almost like blushed and got embarrassed by the question. And Derek Jones Jr. was next to him and said, "Tell him you're a hooper, T." Um, like they're like <laughs> trying to like say like you know you're you could ball like tell him what's up and. Um, that that's just I think the reason why Hero has the kind of confidence that he does. One, that's just stuff. It's intangible. It's in his veins. And and I know some people don't like to, to talk about that fire in the eyes kind of stuff because it sounds a little hokey. But some guys have it and some guys don't. And that's just the, what we see transpire on the court all the time. Hero has it. And what has helped further develop it this fast is that Jimmy and Bam and Goran and all the veterans, Spolstra especially. Spolstra, I mean. No player has played more fourth quarter minutes in the bubble in the playoffs than Tyler Hero. He leads he leads the league in minutes. Like and he's 20 years old. Spolster is trusting that guy. And when you get that kind of green light from your entire organization, then it just reinforces the confidence you already have and that swagger and that drip. And and we're seeing it. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, one thing that definitely is keeping him on the floor too. Everybody likes to marvel about shooting and scoring which he has an abundance of but one thing I've noticed every time that there's a loose ball I feel like he somehow comes up with it he's the smallest guy on the court he hasn't even grown into his own body yet and when there's a ball on the floor he picks it up and and no I don't know how he does it because he shouldn't be able to given his physical stature yet he's always in the right place and that's the same thing with rebounds he's just on the ball yeah, no, he's a ball player. Like that's one of those things where um, 
going into the draft, everyone said, oh, he has alligator arms. He's, you know, he doesn't have the, the <laughs> length and he doesn't have the quickness or he doesn't have the athleticism that you want to see from a guard these days. They said a lot of that kind of stuff about Steph Curry as well. Um, not that Hero is going to become Steph Curry, although that's what I'm going to keep screaming. Um, <laughs> like it, you, some guys are just ball players and they just have it in their veins and it's just what they do. And and it started off, we noticed it with the rebounding. You you hit the nail on the head. Like when he was a, a rookie early on in the year and he was getting four rebounds, five rebounds, six rebounds in games, that wasn't an element of his game that we were counting on at all. It was just a plus. And now he's kind of transcended the rebound only aspect of that. Um, and now it's getting to loose balls. And I think some of this is where when you're in the heat program long enough, you learn that you just dive for balls. When they're, when, when the ball is loose, you go get the 50, 50 balls. And, um, and so he's just kind of leaning into his intuition from a basketball standpoint with some of what he's learned technically in Miami. And, um, it's just all coming together at the right moment. Uh, <laughs> other than Dwayne, there's never been a rookie that's done the stuff he's done on this stage. Absolutely. And did you happen to listen to the uh, Zach Lowe podcast with Duncan uh, yesterday? I think it came out. I got through the Levitard portion and then I had to stop and haven't gone back to listen to Duncan Robinson yet. Some people have shot me a couple quotes in the in the Twitter DMs that are that said I need to definitely go hear the whole interview. So, yeah, I only got through <laughs> the Dan Levitard portion at the at the front half. Yeah, I mean, uh, just going on that. So there was a story that Duncan told where it was like maybe his rookie year or a G League game or something. And he had a great game. He shot well. They won the game. And then he gets, you know, on a break. They go to the um, locker room. And there were some Heat guys there, uh, some Heat coaches. And despite his shooting performance, despite winning the game, they harped on him not diving for two loose balls that he could have, you know, laid his body out for, and he didn't. That was the only thing they talked about. And they made him run a drill where Chris Quinn and another coach were just rolling balls out before a game, <laughs> and he just had to dive on them. Like, that, that, that was the only thing that they cared about. And I just think it's so funny because that's like you can see it with Hero. They just condition their guys to be like this. Yeah, no, that's it's a really great story. I'm gonna have to go check that out and hear it firsthand. But there's a couple others like that. I'll never forget Spolstra saying, um, "If I roll a ball out onto the court and Rodney Magruder's in the gym, nobody's gonna get the ball except Rodney <laughs> Magruder." And like when you heard that, you're like, "Okay, that guy's getting minutes for the Heat." Um, another one was, uh, you know, Hassan Whiteside actually had the opportunity to try out for the Heat before he was signed. Um, with some of the the big three in the last big three year and after some of the initial workouts he immediately like laid down on the court and they were going to start doing some of the hustle drills and Shane Battier looked over at him and said listen like we're champions around here and you're sitting down like get up like <laughs> so it's just another story like it's funny how how these start to rack up you start to hear more and more tales of if you don't hustle get out of town like that's kind of just how it's always been and um this this team is embracing that kind of notion and not every player and every team has and i, I want to bring up the other rookie because we could talk about tyler hero all day he's unbelievable but kendrick nunn is somebody who's, who's really struggled since we've come back and his minutes have been kind of shaky yeah he had an injury of course which really contributes to this but is this this celtic series especially i don't see 
a lot of minutes for Kendrick Nunn. And I think this is a series that Derek Jones Jr. should get some more run because we have the opportunity to really out-rebound the Celtics in this series. And he's also a great wing defender. Yeah, I, I think you're on to something with Derek Jones Jr. being a player that will have a bigger role because not only is like all of the wings that we have to deal with with Boston, but even the point of attack stuff with Kemba, there are moments where I could see them saying, hey, Derek Jones Jr., use your length, use your you know your lateral movement and, and stay in front of Kemba for three or four possessions and that kind of stuff. Whereas Kendrick Nunn, although he's the same size as Kemba, he's not staying in front of him. And uh, it's unfortunate kind of how the Kendrick Nunn stuff has played out. You know, he did, um, you know, caught COVID and, and kind of had to get through that and was, um, you know, so that kind of put him behind from a getting back into the gym perspective with the team. Then there was some other personal stuff that kind of had his focus off of the court and it coincided with Goran playing out of his mind, hero <laughs> rounding into form. And then they just kind of, the, the guard minutes dried up. I, I don't think that it's necessarily indicative of Kendrick Nunn's rest of his career or something that this kind of fall off is going to be what we see from him forever. But in this run and in this series coming up, you hit the nail on the head. I think it's more of a Derek Jones jr. Series than a Kendrick Nunn. See, I, I agree. And I thought that was going to be last series as well. I kept thinking, you know, suppose going to pull none and throw in DJJ to put on Chris Middleton. And it just never came to fruition, which I thought was really surprising. We see none have his flashes, right? I mean, sometimes he'll just blow by a guy, get to the rim and put up a beautiful layup. And you're like, wow, I remember why this guy was second in rookie of the year voting. But other times just, I mean, frankly, boneheaded plays where like on dribble handoffs, he just, he just looks confused. And like, he'll just allow the other team to get their hands on the ball. The biggest thing with me with him is just turnovers. He just, has not looked like himself in terms of, you know, going off the pick, pulling up in the mid range and just knocking them down. The shots are flat. There's just, there's just a lot going on there. That's it's disturbing to heat fans. <laughs> You're right. Because like throughout the year, he was one of the most consistent scoring options. Like you, you maybe weren't going to get a ton of other stuff in the box score, um, but you knew you were going to get 15 points, 14 sure. points, something like that. Uh, the good news is the last two games, I don't think he had a turnover. Uh, it's it's bizarre to see like one game he'll have seven minutes. The next game he has 20 minutes. So Spolster's really, you can't predict where he's going to go there. Um, so I, I think that there will be an opportunity for him in this series, but I just, the way that Bledsoe didn't capitalize on the point of attack defense issues that Miami has, I think Kemba's not going to make that same mistake and they're going yeah. to have to lean on the, the, the better defenders and maybe none can equalize some of that with offense. If he finds his way and doesn't turn the ball over, kind of continues on this recent trajectory of, of keeping, taking care of the ball. Uh, but ultimately the other part of this is as you get more and more into the deeper rounds of the playoffs, the conference finals, Jimmy Gorin, Jay, Jay Crowder, Bam Adebayo, they're going to play 30 to 38 minutes. And that's just going to dry up the bench minutes anyway. So if heroes slotted in for another 35 minute night, then you're really, it's slim pickings at the bench. So um, it's really going to be what guys can come in in a limited amount of time and make the most impact. And uh, my money's on DJJ right now, but who knows after game one, it'll probably be Kendrick. Cause we can't, <laughs> yep. we can't predict what Spo is <laughs> going to do at this point. Definitely. And I, we're going to touch more on the Celtics matchup in a second. 
I'm going to lead a little bit into that by saying I watched, I rewatched the whole game last night, the last bubble game between the Celtics and the Heat, where the Heat came out. I think they won by five or six. Um, DJJ played a pivotal role in that game, especially because Spo used the zone more than I've probably seen him use it all year. And DJJ and Igudala or Crowder were at the head of that zone. The Celtics literally couldn't do anything. They looked confused. They weren't getting the ISOs that they usually get. And for those guys, I mean, as good as Tatum, Brown, Smart, Hayward, Kemba are, none of them are really catch and shoot guys. A lot of them want to get off the dribble penetration, kicking out to other guys who then, you know, dribble into the mid range, post up, put up a fadeaway. So, I really feel like he could have an integral role. I'm just interested to see if Spo goes the same route he did in the regular season or in the bubble season. Yeah, I mean, in that game, they definitely leaned on the zone more than they have in any playoff game yet. And I think that the zone is going to be something that they roll out in spurts, particularly if Boston goes on any level of a run. I think that it's something like a run-stopping move. But another element of that game back um, in August was – I think the Heat started two bigs that that game. If I remember correctly, it was Bam yep. and KO, which has, you know, by the all advanced metrics, they've been a really good combo up front. Now the Heat have obviously sized down, and they really don't have two bigs on the floor at the same time ever. So it'll be interesting to see. Olenek has had great games against Boston ever since he left Boston for Miami. <laughs> He's kind of always had that thing where he goes against his former team and, and lights him up. So it'll be interesting to see how much Olenek plays a factor because Bam and Olenek both played well in that game. If I, if I recall, I think Olenek almost had 10 assists or something of that nature. So, so those guys, um, they, they can rely maybe on the bigs and this could be one of the weird series where even though Spolstra has made a concerted effort to size down with Crowder in the lineup instead, maybe he relies more on that size and that just plays into Derek Jones jr. Getting on the floor more because you're going to go with your bigger guys across the board. Exactly. And, and Kelly Olenek, he's not a normal big because seeing a guy like that, just off the dribble, taking these fadeaway threes, like no, really no other bigs do that. So it's weird because he's very mobile and He's able to, if we do play a zone, he's able to move around a lot. So I, I definitely like Kelly's matchup in this series coming off the bench. I think he could definitely make a huge impact, especially if he's shooting well. He's a really smart player. Uh, I did a piece on Kelly Olenek last year and, and talked to Josh Richardson and Derek Jones Jr. and um, a couple other guys on the team. And I, I expected them all to talk a lot about his shooting as a stretch big and, and some of the stuff he does as a screener. And all they talked about was his passing and his basketball IQ. Like that was all they raved about. And um, it wasn't something that I guess I had shined a, enough of my attention on, you know, you know, shine that light on that part of his game. I just thought of him as a stretch big and uh, they just were gushing about his passing ability. So 
that's something that in this series particularly, if uh, Bam has any level of foul trouble, because this is something else. I think that we're going to see chances for Bam Adebayo to maybe take a possession or two on a Jason Tatum here or there or a Jalen Brown. Yeah. Um, and if they get to some of that and there are some foul issues, Olenek's going to be more important than ever. So that uh, he's going to be a key player in this series. Um, maybe it won't get to that. that. That would be the ideal thing is Bam is never in foul trouble, plays 40 minutes and is getting 20 and 20. <laughs> but ultimately, I think Olenek's going to have to uh, play a pivotal role at some point. Yeah, we wouldn't mind seeing some Kelly keepers this matchup. Right? Yeah, I feel like you haven't seen one. It's been a while since we've seen exactly. a Kelly keeper. Yeah, let's let's bring that back for sure. So, last thing on the Bucks Heat matchup. This has been spoken about in national media a lot recently. Good matchup for the Heat or are the Heat really good? A little bit of both. I mean, it's a good matchup for them. I said at the top of your show that, you know, they kind of we're seeking out that Milwaukee matchup from jump. And, um, but this team is also a different team than, than it was back then. They found their groove from a shooting perspective and the rotation has now been shortened. And I th- think Spolster kind of has honed in on the guys he trusts most. Hero has taken a leap. We haven't seen the best of Duncan Robinson because every defense is keying in on him and he's like the greatest diversion that they could ever have because <laughs> they they're, they're face guarding Duncan Robinson on some possessions and uh, it's essentially unlocked Goran and let Hero get to stuff that maybe they don't normally have as much space to get to so um, it, it, it's an interesting thing where I think that they are as good as as we've seen, but the Milwaukee series particularly, are they going to run through this Boston team in five? Uh, I mean, I may tweet that because I like to get the fans <laughs> going, but I think it, this game, this series is going six or seven. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, I think my prediction right now is Heat and six. I'm not sure if that'll happen. I hope it happens, but yeah, Boston presents a different challenge. They're they're not a deep team, but they're a very down very talented team and they have a lot of playoff experience for having these young guys. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see both teams switch a lot. It's, it's going to be a really good matchup, great coaching. And let's kind of break down those individual matchups a little bit more. So we're kind of going to go category by category and, and Greg, you just put your input in on which team you think really has the advantage. So shooting wise, I think this is one of the more obvious ones, but who do you think is the shooting edge in this matchup? The Heat. Yeah. Short answer, the Heat. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We both agree on that. We have a lot of snipers. And here is the interesting question. Who has the scoring edge? You know what? Um that, that, that's a great question. They're really evenly matched in that way. They get to it in different ways, but they're, they're similar. Uh, I, I wonder what, so league rankings, I think Boston was around seventh in scoring and Miami was middle of the pack, more like 15th. Uh, but there's only a two point difference between the two. Um, so I, they're, they're similar in that way. What, what I think will be integral for Miami is the three point shooting has to continue at the clip that it has. And here's the other one. They got to get to the free throw line. That's huge. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy's free throw rate and bam, getting to the line and shooting stuff like 90%, I think is what he shot in the Milwaukee series. Yep. If, if they can 
th- those are the two things they need to sandwich together with the regular offense that will a- allow them to offset some of the explosive stuff Boston does out on the wings that doesn't require them getting to the line because Tatum as a volume scorer is is blossoming into an unbelievable player. Jalen sure. Brown has played really well. Kemba can get 40 on any night. You don't know when it's coming. So they they get to it in a different way. And I think one big thing that will offset that is if Jimmy's getting 12 free throws and hitting 10 of them, that's going to help to kind of as a release valve so that they're not just having to go bucket for bucket necessarily with um, yeah. Boston out on the wing. And, for sure. and Bam Bam got to the line a lot in the last Celtics game. So if he could do that and get some of these Celtic guys in trouble, especially Tice, where they have to throw in and, and Robert Williams, Time Lord, he's been great, but we haven't seen him go up against a guy like Bam out of bio and this, this Heat team. So Bam being able to get to the line is definitely a huge, huge factor. If, on if that, that yeah. Going up against Pascal Siakam clearly is not the same thing as going up against Bam. I think that just has to be publicly known at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, and I don't think everyone really agreed with that. Like we we throughout the season, he Twitter specifically has always talked about Bam has locked up Siakam in some one on one stuff. I think up up in Toronto particularly, we saw some of that. Um, but now it's a whole nother thing where Siakam is coming off the worst series that we've seen from a guy in quite some time. Um, and I don't think that they're going to have that same kind of success against Bam. Uh, Bam has a real matchup advantage. If there was ever a series where you could see him average 20 a game and and really be not a focal point of the offense from a play calling perspective, but literally just getting buckets because of the mismatches, I think it's this series. Because if there's certain guys that if they size down and he gets the right matchups from a switch perspective, he needs to punish these guys. And if it's just Tice's following him around one-on-one he needs to punish that guy (laughs) so so this is a bam series if there ever was one yeah and i i remember last night when i was watching there was one play that really stuck out to me it was just a very simple pass to bam in the middle he was maybe around the free throw line and tice you know came over to help on a dribble penetration bam just basically walked up to the rim and nobody was there. There was no resistance. Nobody was big enough to even stretch an arm out and try to contest it. He just walked to the rim. And with the size disadvantage that Boston has, he really should be looking for his offense, which he does not normally do. You're right. That's something I think if there's one part of Bam's game throughout this year that fans are frustrated by because there's not much to be frustrated by when it no. comes to Bam. It's that maybe he doesn't realize how good he actually is offensively because I think he actually has the handles to eventually develop into a player that can take guys, big men specifically, right off the dribble and get to the basket at will. And um, part of it is that he's such a team-first guy that he and, – and this goes back to his years in, his year in Kentucky. Uh, Calipari's really big about – guys playing a role when they're there and that's usually why you don't see them unlock every element of their game while they're at Kentucky well Bam has kind of continued that on in his first couple years in Miami where he really just was a backup big and he did the things that a backup big does with flashes here or there now you're right like this is it put your head down get to the rim get fouled make the make 
Boston have to make tough decisions on if they're going to double or if they're going to send a second guy, just maybe show hard, things yep. like that. Um, like th- Those are the things that I think we're going to want to see from Bam from the onset. And uh, he's got the matchups to do it. So let, let's just hope that he, he knows that he has no ceiling just the same way we feel he has no ceiling. <laughs> For sure. I, I, I go go ahead. Andy. Let me say something real quick. I yep. I think Grant Williams is a good player, but if Grant Williams is ever on Bam, if Bam does not <laughs> attack him, I'm going to scream at my TV. Me because too. Because that's a guy that I could end up seeing them. <laughs> he could be on Bam if Tice gets in foul trouble, and that is he's six seven. I think like Bam needs to eat him alive. Like. Yeah, I, I mean, looking at their roster, I would imagine that this is a series where the Celtic fans are probably thinking Robert Williams is some level of um, an ace up their sleeve as far as like a BAM matchup if Tice is, is in foul trouble or something like that. Because otherwise, like, who are they relying on? Is it Ennis Cantor? Is that the guy that they're going to put on him? I mean, like that gets starts to get a little ugly. So um, I think you're right. I think that there's going to be times, and if Hayward comes back, they're going to they're going to lean into the wing heavy lineups even more and it's just going to reinforce bam having a smaller um weaker defender when i say weak i mean from a strength perspective sheer strength and bam's going to have to capitalize on, on that and it doesn't mean he needs to be a bully at all times backing guys down and shooting baby hooks like alonzo morning or shaquille o'neal mm-hmm. but it, it could be as much vertical spacing and just doing things that that make sure they know that they can't check him and um and he's got the, the tools in his toolbox to do that for sure yeah. And Bam, I mean, like you said, it's hard to get mad at Bam. He just does everything with so much effort and he does it all so well. There are two things I just want to mention about Bam. The first is, with all that being said, one thing that is a little frustrating to me is that he doesn't just dunk on people's heads more. Like sometimes he floats up these like fadeaway hook shots where I'm just like, dude, you are so big and so strong. If you just back Daniel Tice down, like you can Giannis him. You can literally just dunk on him. But he seems to like the finesse game a little more than most people with his size and power. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that's it is something that you see from time to time. And it's part of me says that there could be an effort on his part to expand his offensive repertoire. And he doesn't want to just be a very basic big man doing basic big man moves but right. there's a there's a fine balance there you you're you're on to something in that sometimes you just need to lean into what you what those god-given abilities and just go and dunk on somebody's head and just and, and <laughs> yep. like that's how you should approach that and um maybe this is just it's part of the maturation process he wants to obviously um he wants to make the right play. Sometimes to a to a fault, he can be the guy who's trying to make the right play and doesn't want to make mistakes. And um, and in this series, with as much on the line as you have in an Eastern Conference Finals, sometimes I and I hope he gets to it. He throws caution to the wind and just if he attacks the basket, good things are going to happen. Even if he doesn't convert. Truthfully, if he misses a couple dunks and just gets to the line at the clip that he's shooting now, like there's there's no harm that can come so from it. True. So I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. And, he's, and then he's, go ahead. He's really able to to drive like that because his shot has been falling. He he's shown down the stretch that his jump shot is pretty reliable now, and that's something that we're going to see him continue to develop. Which Landon and I both think that within two or three years, Bam's going to have a three point shot. 
Like he he has good form and he trusts it, so that's going to open up the floor even more for him. Yeah, with no. shoot with shooters. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I'll make this no. Quick. You're good. Um, with with shooters, if they can shoot well from the free throw line, that's indicative that they can be a better shooter from the edges. And and one big thing, uh, Calipari reached out to Riley and said, listen, we have a guy who I used like a traditional big man, and he is not that. So you need to really do your homework on Bam Adebayo. He is a star. And when they brought him in for a workout, the biggest things that they wanted to make sure that he could do was obviously the switching on defense and guarding smaller players. They really, really tested that out in workouts. And the other thing they did is they put him in the corner and they made him shoot threes. Mm-hmm. And he, sh- he shot really, really well in all in the workouts. Yeah, I think he had two workouts and both of them, he shot really, really well. And I, I think that you're right in the next two to three years, as much as I said that he could maybe blow by guys and get to the rim. The other part of his game that's going to come along is that, that Udonis Haslam baseline 15 footer. Then you take a couple more steps out each year. And eventually if you, if he can unlock that part of his game, I mean, literally the sky's the limit. You're talking about a Kevin Garnett level talent. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know, going on that, We've seen Bam hit like buzzer beater threes in the past where he just kind of has to throw up a prayer and he sinks it. And we heard about that Team USA scrimmage game where he made a game winning buzzer beater three. So like he clearly has the at least ability to get the ball near the rim, which not a lot of big guys have. So that's that's there waiting for him to take it. It's not like, you know, Giannis where the form is a little rough. The like sometimes he kind of has like a hitch in his shot. Like this is a clean shooting guy that really can develop that. And uh, when he does, that's going to be scary. But you know, until then, a lot of people say when a guy can't shoot, you know, sag off of him, like sit back in the paint if you're a big and just you know, Bam can't do anything on the perimeter. And he he's not Ben Simmons. Because they're running this dribble handoff action. And if the big doesn't come up and switch, Duncan Robinson's getting a wide open three no matter what because Bam's screens are so effective. So that's where it makes Ennis Cantor types almost unplayable because they're not fast enough to, to run that dribble handoff defensively. And then if they're sagging back in the paint, it's a three. So that's an interesting uh, facet to the upcoming matchup. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned about him hitting a buzzer beater three. Um, I think part of when Bam shoots best is when he doesn't think about it at all. And I know that that's kind of like it's counterintuitive to think about it this way, but he had a couple of jumpers uh, at the end of the shot clock in the last series that were maybe 14, 15, 16 foot jumpers. Mm-hmm. And, and he hit them. Uh, he looked like Garnett, honestly, but like it was, it was always in moments where he caught it and just shot it. And I think that yep. that's something that he needs to lean into more and more because when you're not thinking and you're just kind of following through, you're right. The mechanics are all there. So essentially the only thing that gets in the way is, is thought at that point and then the mental part of it. So Agreed. Th- this is a thing where they, they're going to have to rely on wig- wings because all of the stuff you mentioned with the switching and, and you don't want Cantor out on Duncan Robinson or some of the guards. <laughs> so we just have to hope Bam can keep him honest from the edges. And so far he's done that. So. Absolutely. And that was a, a long scoring answer, but I guess bottom line is we don't know yet. It depends a lot on, on the who scoring. gets the line and yeah. 
Yeah, yeah sorry, we went off on a tangent there. I love <laughs> no, it's awesome. Sorry, man. I, I love talking about Bam, favorite player. But no, so that and Bam's also relevant in this next category, rebounding, where it seems like Miami has the edge. Yeah, I mean, I would give Miami the edge there just because of the size and the fact that they have a lot of guys that rebound better and play bigger than their height would indicate. So uh, that that's another area of the game where for now I'm giving Miami the edge. Yep. Move on to and then, ball movement. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, you got it. Take <laughs> All it, right. Take it, take it. So <laughs> ball movement and passing, who do you think has the edge? I'm going to continue to sound like a homer here, but I feel like the Heat probably have a little bit of an edge from a ball movement perspective. It doesn't always mean that they're going to necessarily get as many assists, but I think that the ultimately with Boston, you're seeing that they, they have well-rounded scoring, but at some point Tatum gets the ball and just does what Tatum does. And to a lesser extent, Kemba, Jalen Brown's not really much of an isolation guy. Um, whereas the Heat are not necessarily looking at that. And all season they have been a team that's had some of the, the most players averaging in double figures. So I feel like from a ball movement perspective, if the Heat are going to win, they need to better, they need to be the better team in this area particularly. Yeah, I agree. I like the ball movement on this Heat team has been unbelievable, especially against the Bucks. The team's so unselfish; it's wild. And the Celtics have pretty good passing too, but they tend to get stuck in these ISO situations where, where whereas this Heat team switches a lot, they're not really going to have that many advantages in these isolation matchups that they that they really want. So You're, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of targeting Dragic, Hero, and Duncan. Yeah, no, they, they definitely, um, they're, we, we've expected it. And I, I was really actually surprised in the Indiana series that, that Nate McMillan didn't capitalize on going and hunting down Goran Dragic. It, like it literally took him to game four to start doing any of that. <laughs> Maybe that's why he got fired. But like, I would imagine that Boston is not going to take so long to start hunting down those matchups. And, um, and that, that's a, It'll be interesting to watch. I mean, from a from a sheer passing perspective, um, you know, I think Bam probably gets as many assists as any guy on Boston. But uh, you know, ultimately, I think that uh, the the guards on Miami are, are they can be picked on in ways that I don't know that Boston has guards that can be picked on. So that that's going to be a pivotal turning moment of how much they seek out Gorn and and kind of neutralize him by just going at him. Yeah, I mean, the Pacers tried to go at Duncan a lot, and that was kind of a failed experiment. I, he actually held his own pretty well when he would get driven on. So, I, I mean, Jalen Brown's a different beast than Malcolm Brogdon in terms of unpredictability and just explosiveness, but I don't feel terrible about Duncan. Now, Tyler has a very, very poor field goal percentage against him. Like people shoot way above their regular percentage when they're against Tyler and we need him in the clutch. So hopefully I, I don't know what's going to happen there, whether it's more help or he just really locks in on the, on the defensive end, but uh, I'm a little scared for that. Yeah, no, I am too. I think that's a situation where you hope that his offense 
transcends any limitations on defense, <laughs> um, particularly late in games. But here's the other part of it is that, and and you you touched on it earlier about the zone. I think that there's elements of the zone and even maybe some matchup zone stuff, which I guess is kind of what they're already doing, where they essentially rely on the defensive acumen of Iguodala and Crowder and Jimmy Butler to, and Bam Adebayo, obviously, to make <laughs> up for some of the deficiencies from a guy like Hero, because you don't want Hero off the floor late in no. games. What, what he gives you offensively right. in playmaking, it, it's huge. So you, you're going to hope that the other four guys on the floor can kind of compensate. Yeah, and that, and that leads right into defense. Who do you think has the defensive edge in this matchup? I'll probably lean Boston. Um, as much as Miami has improved defensively, I think that uh, Boston and Toronto were two of the best defensive teams throughout the regular season. I think both of them were in the top 10 in a lot of the um, defensive metrics. Whereas Miami, we thought that this would be a team that leaned on their defense all year and the offense would be the, the slow go. And it was the opposite. The offense was firing on all cylinders and they <laughs> couldn't stop anybody for months. It felt like even though they played well, um, a lot of that's been corrected in these playoffs and in the bubble particularly. But ultimately, if we're getting down to just strictly matchups um, and the wings and just all of the elements of the point of attack stuff Kemba's going to present from a challenge perspective, I think that um, Boston is better set to defend Miami than Miami is to defend Boston. I, I agree, sadly. I, you know, you don't want to give them anything, but I think in this case, Kemba against our guards is very scary it's going to lead to some serious breakdowns at times and guys pretty open on the three-point line. Especially, I mean, I doubt we'll leave Jason Tatum wide open at the three-point line, but I could see this being the kind of series that hinges on Marcus Smart's three-point shooting. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if that's a... I would imagine the Heat will live with if, if Marcus Smart is the one who beats you exactly in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, he's probably what somewhere in the neighborhood of a 35, 34 percent three point shooter. So, I mean, he, he's respectable, but he's not a guy that's like a knockdown shooter at all times. So at some point you got to give something. And I think that that's what you'd want to give most. Um, so, so we'll see, but yeah, I think you're onto something that that's a player. If he shoots 40% or more from three on any level of volume, that's going to be really difficult for Miami to, uh, to shore up the other parts of the game that are going to hit, you know, like Tatum obviously is, is yeah. out of the, out of this world offensively right now. So Smart is shooting 35% from three in the regular season and 34% from three in the playoffs. So pretty even, we can expect that rate from him. Yeah, and he'll have he'll have one game where he, he plays like Marcus Smart and goes five of five and a quarter, but then he's also going to have long droughts where he can't shoot well. So you, you kind of have to live with both and just contest them. And yeah, I'd much rather have Marcus Smart taking an open three than... Jalen Brown or Tatum or other guys, even Ke I mean, Kemba's the scariest, but so yeah, yeah, Marcus Smart's definitely a factor in that series, and do the Celtics you, really need him to play well. Do you guys think that they would waste Marcus Smart's defensive um, prowess on Duncan Robinson to like literally cancel Ooh. out Duncan Robinson in the series? Because like to me, there's almost parts of that that feel like like that would actually be a good thing for Miami if they agreed. Just, put Marcus Smart on Duncan Robinson and and but I don't know what what do you guys think do you think where do you think Smart is going to line up in this series 
I mean, if I were the Celtics, I think I'd put him on Jimmy to start the games just to really get in his head because they, I just saw a video earlier that NBA Central posted where Jimmy was just talking about Marcus Smart's like running his mouth back when he was on the Bulls and like oh, I remember how, that saying like he didn't want yep. none of that life or he's not <laughs> yep, about that exactly, life like exactly exactly I remember that yeah I would totally throw Smart on Jimmy just to frustrate him maybe don't keep it but you know that that kind of stuff can influence playoff series when when you got those matchups going with history and stuff I don't know if that's what they'll do because he doesn't necessarily have the length of a guy like you know, Jalen or, or Jason, I would honestly expect Jalen to end up on him, but I think they would go smart if they were smart. I think I'm most concerned and I think it'll happen at some points, but if Marcus smarts on Dragic, like we talked about, that's not good for the heat because Dragic really has been producing a lot of the offense. And I, I think that's where the Celtics should go to start the games and have Kemba. I know he's short chasing Duncan, and just hoping that he contests him because Dragic opens up so much of the offense now that he's just another 20, 20 points a game score. And they can't let that happen in this series. Yeah, I think hiding Kemba on Duncan Robinson is probably the move there. And I think that the dribble handoff stuff with Bam then gets particularly interesting to see Agreed. how Boston counters right. on that. But the other part of it, and I, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head with Marcus Smart on Jimmy, is that if Boston can get double technicals with Jimmy Butler and Marcus Smart a couple times throughout the series they're going to take that trade all day long so I think that they're that they would happily have both of those guys ejected in a in, in a game so so true the, the 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 mental narrative stuff from the past could rear its ugly head and you just hope Jimmy is poised and kind of in a in a place in this run that's a little different than kind of where he was from a maturity perspective back in Chicago and Jimmy, a lot of people, I remember listening to Charles Barkley talk about Jimmy saying, oh yeah, I feel like he needs to keep his head level or else they're going to lose to Milwaukee because he can't keep, and then he referenced like the Wesley Matthews incident and stuff like that, saying that Jimmy, you know, was overreacting. I actually disagree entirely. I think Jimmy is very calculated. Every time he gets into one of those incidents, I don't think it's ever in a way where he's, tr he's, you know, throwing everything out on the line and just, you know, could get ejected. Think about the TJ Warren incident when right. he did that little, you know, jab step where TJ, you know, right into TJ's chest and TJ clapped behind him. He knew everything that was going to happen. He planned that out. He's just a mastermind like that. I'm not scared of him getting ejected, honestly. I think, I think you're right. I think that there was probably, this is like kind of how players evolve and he has learned uh, how to channel some of maybe his uh, uh, feistiness and actually use it to his advantage. And he's very calculated and um, very systematic in the way mm -hmm. he approaches that kind of stuff. So you're right. I, I think that um, while they may try it, I don't think it will work. I think Jimmy's in a different place. His headspace is like um, he's at peace in Miami, and that that's something that we've seen throughout the year. So the the other part of it is, I actually think the Heat will respond well to chippiness. That that maybe a little bit of that is is healthy for them at this point. Where um, if it's just kind of a series where people are helping each other up off the floor and everybody's cool and there's no technical fouls, mm -hmm. that that's not really because skill for skill, Boston is probably the more skilled bunch. 
But if you start to throw in some of the things from a um, from a toughness perspective, and if the game kind of gets a little chippy, that's where I think Miami can capitalize. I was telling Andy earlier, I think of Boston as still like, I think that's a team of boys and the Miami Heat have some men. And I don't say that to like diminish anything about the Celtics. I'm just saying they're not like scary, physical, like dominating presences. They're all very finesse based. Think about Kemba. The way that Tatum plays is very like his sidesteps, his fadeaways. It's not in your face. Jimmy Butler freaking pounds people in the paint. That's like his whole game is to get free throws by running straight into you. Bam's just an overwhelming, you know, presence on the inside. Jay Crowder, Iggy Dalla, these guys are physical. And the, I don't know if Boston is like, you know, Toronto would have been perfect for that. Like they have a bunch of physical guys too. Boston just doesn't have that level of, of toughness in my opinion. I, I agree, and I think that um, the other part of this Eastern Conference Finals that's that's a little weird is that usually a team, before they get to the finals, has to take lumps. Like, I remember when, when Shaq w- arrived in Miami, they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to Detroit. Or the Big Three era, they didn't close the deal in that first year, and you kind of you have to take one on the chin, and you get humbled, and then you come back. This is a, a, a kind of a circumstance where – I don't know that both teams have ever taken that lump. You know what I mean? Where they, they, yeah. they've had that disappointing loss. So um, it'll be interesting to see if some of the playoff experience, finals experience, and just overall maturity of Miami and the toughness um, plays into their hands in, in a positive way against kind of a, a really skilled ascending Boston team that hasn't necessarily been in the trenches as much. And And talking about that experience, do you think that, coaching experience in the finals gives Spo the coaching edge over Brad Stevens or who, who do you think wins that matchup? I'll go to my grave saying Eric Spolstra is a better coach than Brad Stevens. <laughs> end of discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember Chris Mannix tweeted something like, would you, if you could start your team with any player in the league, would you pick a player or would you pick Brad Stevens? And I could not roll my eyes hard enough. Like he's a great (laughs) coach. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to slander him in any way. He's a great coach, but like, let's be honest here. He hasn't necessarily proven anything in, in the league in terms of real winning. There's no banners hanging because of Brad Stevens yet. So I think like, let's hold our horses before we put him in the same category as Spolstra. Now this series could change that obviously because, there, because there's parts of it that, um, that these guys are going head to head now in, on the, on center stage. So we'll see, but right now advantage Spo. All right, and that wraps up the advantages that we're discussing. So now we want to move to a little bit of off-season talk. We know this is running over an hour. We'll uh, we'll make this pretty quick. Um, but to start it off, what's the Heat's game plan for the off-season? Let's assume, I mean, they could win the championship, and I wouldn't be that surprised. But let's assume they don't win the chip. What's the game plan? If I had to predict the offseason, I would say they will likely look to retain Goran Dragic and Jay Crowder on one-year deals, probably pay both of them slightly above market value to keep them in Miami for one year and not take a long-term deal elsewhere. And really, that will be about keeping this bunch together, playing 
looking for opportunities to make trades to improve right now, but doing nothing. And I mean, nothing that sacrifices the 2021 space because (laughs) until Riley gets the opportunity to sit down across from Giannis and pitch Giannis on what they want to do, making the game easier for him, putting him in different positions, making him not have to rely on just getting downhill over and over and over again. Um, this, that'll be a meeting that Spolstra will be really uh, instrumental in as well. But until Riley gets that meeting, he's not going to sacrifice the, the flexibility he needs. So I think that like one scenario I think that's viable to look out for would be trying to put a, a package together. Let's say it's like Olenek, Kendrick Nunn, the, the 20th pick in the draft and a future first round pick for a guy like Oladipo that's going to probably exit Indiana. So you get one year of Oladipo in Miami to evaluate if he's a long-term fit or not, but it doesn't sacrifice what what they have planned for 2021. Um, and I think that probably is the plan a whether they win the title or not because really this was this was a transition year anyway this is all one year ahead of schedule in terms of where they're at and um really the 2021 offseason is what they've been trying to get to absolutely there's no telling anybody what pat riley's got up his sleeve i mean Kawhi leonard's a free agent lebron like who knows if the target really is Giannis, which it seems like it but who knows there's, there's a lot of options for the Heat, a lot of other guys too. And they have two stars now in Jimmy and Bam that were, even if they add a guy who's not better than either of them could still get the Heat over the, over the hump and have him win a title. Yeah, and so, w- one yeah. more thing with that, and I, I won't talk your ear off on it too long, but the, the other thing they have in their favor next season is they have, uh, they're going to have a combination of expiring contracts, big ones too, Kelly Olenix, Andre Iguodala's, mm-hmm. young, young players on cost-controlled deals, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and I know we don't want to part with those guys, but if all of a sudden you could get a Donovan Mitchell or – some other player becomes available that's not really on the scene right now that's a top-level guy, they have kind of some of the elements of a trade package that could accelerate this thing. So I wouldn't put it past Riley to punt on 2021 if the right player became available, but it's not going to be like a, a, a like just a, a semi-star. It's going to have to be a Shaq-level guy for them to go trade <laughs> to punt on the 2021 plan. So that actually leads directly into what we wanted to discuss next. So just play with me a little bit. I'll be a GM for these teams, and you tell me if you would accept these packages for a star. So let's say I am the Wizards. I'll give Bradley Beal, you give me Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, and two first-round picks. No way from Miami's perspective would I do that. And probably I'll get laughed at by certain folks out there because Bradley Beal is absolutely better than all the guys you just referenced. But Bradley Beal is also set to make somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 $30 million or so, or maybe more than that. I haven't looked at at the cap sheet recently, but um, I I don't know that I'm giving up both of my shooters and picks and everything else um, for for the Beal-Jimmy-Bam trio just yet until I see what um, what transpires in 2021. So no. All right. Next I'm the bucks this summer. Giannis says he wants out. Bam, Duncan, Tyler hero, two first round picks. No way. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you I agree. Won't, you won't get me to say yes to any trade that involves bam out of bio. Um, 
in probably I, I don't know that there's a player that I would I mean, there's probably a couple if we really got down into the nitty gritty of this thing. But ultimately, like even like if you said Joel Embiid for Bam straight up, uh, I'm I'm good off that. I don't want to do that kind of deal. I, I really like Adebayo's fit. And also Jimmy, um, Jimmy loves Bam. There, there's three guys that it's going to be difficult for Jimmy to sign off on trades. Uh, he feels really strongly and he's vocal about it, too, with the front office about Tyler Hero, Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo. Those three guys are his favorite teammates, and he doesn't want them going anywhere. Yep. And I, I was telling Landon, we, we talked about this, I don't know how many guys in the whole league I would trade for Bam, and I was I was thinking through it. And of course, there's, like, Luka is somebody you would have to trade. Obviously, Absolutely. it's never going to happen. <laughs> but but really, besides Luka, like, maybe Tatum, like, I don't know how many guys, Bam's ceiling is, he really could become the next Kevin Garnett. And if he does average 25, 12, and 5, how many guys are really better than him given his defense? You're right. That, and that, that's the thing about also when you, when you talk about the Beal trade, like Bradley Beal is obviously way better than Tyler Hero right now. But when you see what Hero's doing in this short amount of time and he's 20 years old, it's just there's a part of me that's a little worried about sending away a guy on a rookie deal that's ascending at the rate that he's ascending. And you see the trajectory there for a guy who's already kind of where he as good as he's going to ever be and is making $35 million and is going to clog the cap. So just fiscally, I think it's a little difficult to start stacking together 30 and $40 million guys, unless you're a hundred percent sure, like with the big three, that those are the guys you want to go with. Yep. And with all of these potential trades, There are definitely some characteristics about a lot of NBA fans that lead them to kind of misconstrue how trades usually go down. So for instance, the Heat fans calling to trade Bam for Joel Embiid, like just even if it was just straight up, they think that scoring is everything. And as good as Embiid is, part of it is fit and Bam's versatility can fit with any roster that the Heat end up putting together, can fit with any star. And we've seen Embiid with three ultra-talented, you know, other players in, you know, Tobias and Butler and Simmons. They didn't even get past a Toronto team that, I mean, had one star, really. You could say Kyle Lowry, but Kawhi Leonard was the crux of that team. I don't think that... Embiid is a guy that you go and trade Bam for. It just doesn't make sense. Agreed. I think that obviously you hit on the defensive stuff, but there's another part of this that's huge, and that's if you look at games played over the last few years, the Bam Adebayo's consistent availability cannot be understated, particularly when you realize that Jimmy Butler on his current contract, like this is a window that you have with Jimmy Butler playing at the level that he's playing, being as impactful as he is. And I think his game, his game will continue to age gracefully, but you, you want to capitalize on it. And if you were to swap Bam for Embiid and then Embiid has some sort of injury that hinders his ability to play, that would be a real sad way to kind of go out. So I'm with you there. Yeah, Bam Bam is the definition of heat culture. He he is that guy. He's he's the guy that hustles, teammates first. So there's no way we trade Bam. Here's one trade that doesn't involve Hero or Bam. Drew Holiday for Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, and two first-round picks. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> you know what? I 
because I don't want to say no to every trade because then I look like a heat homer <laughs> that's just being a snob and doesn't want to give up and overvaluing my assets. I'm going to say this one I would do. Um, Duncan Robinson obviously has had a historic shooting season, but we've seen some of the things that have gotten him um, off the floor defensively. Also, you don't really know, is it sustainable for a 10 years that he's going to shoot like this? So like, you know, like one historic season does not make up a sample size forever. So at, at that point, um, I know Jimmy loves Drew Holiday. He's publicly commented that he's yep. one of the guys he'd want to play with if there was ever like a group that he could pick from. So this is one where I'll say, since you since you kept Hero out of the deal, I'll, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I, I, Drew would be, I mean, another Heat guy, right? He's just grit, pure grit. One of the best perimeter defenders in the league. Playmaker, create his own shot. I mean, that adds a whole another element to what the heat have going on now i believe he is on a deal that could extend into 2022 yeah, right i'm, I'm pretty sure me. he has a player option yeah you beat me to it so this would be all contingent on him playing nice with the organization and being willing to opt out of that final season yep. so it doesn't sacrifice the 2021 space and then essentially um you know, you, but I don't know that you can necessarily plan that out. So, so perfectly. Um, but just in a vacuum, if we're talking on the court players, no implications with further off seasons, I would do it. But if it gets in the way of 2021 at this point, I'm, I'm keeping my chips where they are. Cause they're ahead of schedule. Agreed. Absolutely. And let's talk just a little bit final segment about kind of the Western conference and go back to this year, of course, now the Heat are going to be one of the last four teams left, and they have a great shot of actually winning a championship, which nobody saw coming. I so, did, just saying. <laughs> you didn't think we were going to win. Have the you have guts. You, you also said the Clippers would sweep or win in five. Against five, five. No. But, so Greg, what, what team would you rather see out of the West, and which team do you think is going to come out of the West? Uh, this is really difficult. So I have... I've gone back and forth on this all year. There's a part of me that looks at the Clippers roster top to bottom and says, who the hell is beating that team? Um, they're just deep. They've got Kawhi, who presents all kinds of challenges. But I've been conditioned as a Heat fan for the big three, four years. You don't doubt LeBron James. And there's just there's this part of me that thinks that um, LeBron has always thought about this year as one that he has a real chance of getting another ring. And it may start to dry up after this year uh, in terms of his opportunities to get to that promised land again. So um, I'm kind of being wishy-washy here, but there's I'm going to stick with my gut. So this is heart overhead here. I'm going to say that I, I think the Lakers are probably the team that's going to advance to the finals. And I'm not 100% sure I love the, the Heat's chances because if there's ever a guy who can make Bam, uh, that can give Bam trouble, it's, it's an Anthony Davis type. I think that that's a guy who it's a particularly tough matchup. And then obviously LeBron does all the things that LeBron does. So um, that's kind of where I'm leaning at this point. I've gone back and forth on it. So I'd probably say that um, I would rather face the Clippers, which sounds crazy to say out loud, <laughs> um, just because I, I don't know, man, in, in, in a seven game series for another championship with legacy stuff on the line, I feel like LeBron is going to be on another level that I, I don't necessarily necessarily want to get in the way of yeah that's how andy's felt a lot of the time 
I've said Clippers the whole way. I'm starting to get a little more hesitant seeing how many of their guys don't look right. I mean, between Paul George, Lou Williams, and Montrez, they're not anywhere close to the ceiling I thought this team could hit. The Lakers, I think the Lakers are a little easier to scheme for. I don't know if that's just me. I just think Spo would do a tremendous job keying in on those two guys instead of dealing with the whole cast of the Clippers. He just seems to do well when it's like a couple major players that you're trying to deal with. And the other thing is Kawhi. (laughs) I mean, Kawhi against Jimmy last year, Kawhi was still dropping 30, you know, 35 plus with Joel Embiid back in the paint. I just think that Kawhi's physical prowess is just overwhelming. And when you got the shooters around him that the Lakers don't have, the Clippers scare me a little more. I'm not going to lie. You know what? You just changed my mind. I'd rather play the Lakers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've completely flopped on, I flip-flopped on this. And you know what? Like, as you just said this all, and you, as you were unpacking kind of the difference between the two teams, this is the other thing. I think if you ask the Heat organization, do you want the opportunity to go head-to-head with LeBron James, who decided to leave the organization and essentially – we're one Draymond Green kick away from that being one of the worst decisions ever by a top player. If he never won another championship after he left Miami, that so would be true. looked at as a historic failure to walk away from what was ha- what they were building in Miami as kind of a decade kind of team. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you asked Pat and you asked Spo, do you want the chance to take LeBron down and kind of scheme for him? They know what what things work against LeBron, J.J. Barrera, cough, cough. Um, like <laughs> that, that, that's a matchup that I think they probably would rather go against LeBron and maybe hope that some of the mental stuff comes up versus Kawhi, who seems like a robot who doesn't have any mental exactly. issues. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I would rather see the Lakers. I don't know who's going to get there at this point. I, I flipped initially. I said the Lakers, but then come bubble time, I was, I was agreeing with Landon that the Clippers would win. I still think the Clippers get there, but I don't know. The Lakers, the Clippers do not look like they're rolling right now, and the Lakers look determined as ever. And they're led by two absolute superstars, two top five, top seven players. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, one more thing with the Lakers matchup that I really like. I understand that Jimmy Butler and Bam are not LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I do think that there's some like resemblance there. I mean, the Jimmy Butler does a lot of the things that LeBron does, not nearly a high of a clip, but like he is a similar build in that he doesn't rely on his jumper. He gets in the paint, he beats guys up, and he sprays it out to shooters. And, you know, bam, with this mid range, it, it's very comparable. Now, Anthony Davis and LeBron are worlds away better, but. I like the defensive matchups. I I know you said that Bam on Anthony Davis isn't, you know, perfect for Bam. I don't think it's perfect for anybody. And if I were to pick a guy to put on Anthony Davis, it would be Giannis or Bam. That's a good point. And, you know, like they are kind of like great value, like Bam and Jimmy are kind of great value, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Um, So you could be onto something there because if you can in any shape – um, neutralize those two, and you you know you're talking two for two, Jimmy and Bam versus LeBron and AD. 
if you go the rest of the roster, Miami has a huge gulf between exactly, you know, the, the, the yeah. difference. And then also the coaching disparity is huge. I think enormous. There. I mean, we've seen Spolstra coach circles around Vogel before. So, <laughs> um, so you may be onto something there that actually, you know, despite me just being kind of having PTSD from thinking about the way LeBron could kind of turn it on in game six at Boston and stuff like that when he was in a heat <laughs> Jersey and just not wanting to be on the other end of that. I think maybe you're probably actually onto something that the Lakers present a much better matchup. How do you feel about the Lakers shooters? <laughs> what shooters exactly okay <laughs> nice you're on the same page as me and andy thinks they hey, have I, I have faith that danny green will turn it around still oh my god he's terrible yeah. <laughs> i may i maintain that no team that has Dion waiters or hassan whiteside will ever win a championship and i know i've probably contradicted <laughs> that statement in this podcast but I, I probably should stick to my gut on that one <laughs> that's fair <laughs> All right, well, that pretty much wraps up everything we had. Uh, you got any last-minute Heat predictions or comments? I'll go Heat in six, and um, thank you for having me on, guys. This was fun to kind of unpack all of the stuff that's happened in the bubble and um, keep doing what you're doing. Um, I enjoyed being on, and uh, go Heat. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Take care, and check us out on 5 on the Floor and 5 yeah, guys, they have a great Heat podcast, the best Heat content around. I listen to it pretty much every podcast I have for three, four years. So uh, if you're if you're trying to get some updates on the Heat, especially going to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, this is the spot to do it. Five on the Floor podcast. Always remember to embrace your inner towel, boy.